You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast. Our goal is to provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you on your journey from solo to CEO of a high-impact, high-revenue-generating business so you can create the lifestyle you desire. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here this morning with Kathy Knowles, founder and CEO of Intuitive Strategies. Welcome, Kathy. Good morning, Davina. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. So tell us a little (laughs) bit about Intuitive Strategies. Yeah, well, I help business owners hire the right people and really build high-performing teams. And what that comes down to is when they know how to hire the right way or when I assist them in hiring the right way, and when they recognize and develop the complete potential in their people, their business just completely grows and explodes. And they have clients who love them. And, um, yeah, it's really, I, I absolutely love what I do. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I think that is such a key uh, factor in that trans in that transition from working as a solo to growing into a CEO is really uh, learning how to cultivate a team and trust a team to support you as you grow your business. Uh, and I know it's a huge issue for a lot of solos. Go, you know, how do I cultivate that team? How do I find uh, those quality people? And so we're really going to dig into that and ask for your help in in helping us sort of sort out how we go about cultivating a quality team to support us in as we grow a business. So. What kinds of things? Uh, let's let's break it down and say where do we start? If you're a solo in a in a business and you're you're, you're doing everything yourself, and you have a lot of fear around uh, cultivating a team, well, ask, tell me this: what is, what do you think's you know like the number one mistake people make when they make their first hire? What do you think the number one mistake is they make? Yeah, I, I think what it is is number one, hiring someone they know. Oh, really? Um, or oh, yeah. Or even you know, talking to someone they know and they say, "Oh, my neighbor down the street's looking for a job," right? Or hiring the first person that walks in the door, because the person that's doing the hiring, they don't really know what they need. Um, I see it happen all the time. So they become like an employment agency for everybody who needs a job. <laughs> yeah. I feel sorry for other people. That, <laughs> I know. And then the challenge is, Davina, especially if it's a friend or a relative, now you have them within your business. You know that they're not really the right fit. You know there's something off. And you love them. You care about them. They're friends or family. So you keep trying to change the role from what it should be to suit them. Now you're sitting there two or three years down the road and going, oh my gosh, you know, what did I do here? What did I create and how do I change this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. 
<clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. so, all right. So number one, number one mistake. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't just, don't just, uh, uh, hire somebody because you have a, a need. So does that kind of come up because, uh, people wait too long to make their first hire? Yeah, I think it's actually a few things. I think number one, they wait too long until they are in the middle of a meltdown, right? They're so stressed out, they can't do what they really need to do because they're doing all of these other roles and they keep looking at their time and they don't have enough time. So that's one thing. And again, I'm going to go back to clarity. You'll hear me in this call a lot today, just really go back to clarity. I think another thing is they don't spend enough time to really say or articulate what exactly do I need this person to do. It's interesting, you know, I'll talk to my clients, especially when I'm first initially starting to work with them, and they'll say, oh, Kathy, I am just so fed up. You know, I hired, I don't know, Amanda, and <clears throat> she's not doing at all anything that I want her to do. She's not accountable, and she's not this, and she's not that. And then I'll say, well, what do you want Amanda to do? And they can't really answer me. It's like ah. having that fuzzy elevator pitch, right? If you can't say what your business is, this is the same thing. If you can't say what the expectation is, that, that the outcomes of what this person should be doing, then you've, you, you don't know the position well enough yourself. And I'm not saying they have to do the job, but they do have to know the job in order to be a strong leader and manager for that person in that role. So they have to be very clear on what it is that they want the person or the position, what they want the position to do yeah. for them, right? Before they, yes. they hire. So that clarity. And not only clear, yeah, and not only clear in the um, tactical side or the technical side, right? The knowledge ability, mm -hmm. but more so and probably more important, clear in the soft skills. When mm -hmm. I talk to my clients, a lot of times it's not about the person not being able to do the job. It's about the person's soft skills not fitting in with the company. So it's almost like you need to know what superpowers in some ways, right, mm -hmm. does this person need to have? I hear people say all the time, oh, we can't have drama here. Well, mm -hmm. in some ways, that's a soft skill. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people being on time, people being able to communicate well with the customers or the clients, people being able to um, understand um, sort of like that whole intuitive thing, right? In order to be one step in front of someone else, all of those things are really more soft skills than they are tactical skills. Right, right. I know I've I've invited you to speak uh, with some of my clients before. And one of the things that you have spoken at length about uh, with with us and our groups um, are uh, core values and starting from a place of core values. Can you explain that concept yeah. and why that's important? Oh, I love that. And wasn't it powerful that day with your group? Like, oh, I yes. thought we were going to talk about several things and we just stayed on core values the entire time. I know, I know, because it's so important. <laughs> it's so important. It, and it's important. It, in, it affects so many aspects of your business, not just cultivating your team. But um, that was, you know, it's huge. 
Yeah. Well, you know, what's so interesting about core values that we don't think about? And I, a lot of times when I speak to my clients about this, you know, I kind of feel their energy or their eyes roll back in their head because they're thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to have this values written on the wall and, you know, just like a vision and mission statement. And the truth is, it's not that at all. It's already the way you are showing up every day to take care of your clients. It's almost your hidden MO of the way not only you run your business, but the way you run your life. And I love Simon Sinek. And if those that are listening to this aren't familiar with him, just go check out some of his YouTubes. They're, they're, they're unbelievable. But Simon Sinek says all the time that, um, that values plus behavior equal culture. So a real easy way to get a feel for what your values are is to look at like one of your favorite clients in the whole wide world and look at the way you more or less break down what is most important for you when you work with them. Right, right. Yeah, and Simon Sinek says too, it should be something short and sweet and it should always start with a verb. So I have five. I keep mine very, very simple. And number one is to put people first because I'm in a people business. Um, number two for me is to deliver highest value. Number three is to do the right thing. Number four is to implement systems and processes. And number five is to measure client success. Because if I'm doing the first four, Number five should just more or less come naturally. And now all I need to do is measure it and see if something's fallen into the cracks. And, you know, do I need to implement another system and process? Have I always done the right thing on this one? Have I always put my clients first? Did I deliver the highest value? So they all really work together. I love that. I love that. And I found it to be uh, <clears throat> such a terrific exercise. I, I started from the place, uh, my, my brand is the indispensable trusted advisor, and I help my clients position themselves as indispensable trusted advisors, clients clamor to hire, right? So I looked mm -hmm. at it and I said, what does it take to be an indispensable trusted advisor? What does it mean to me to be an indispensable trusted advisor? What <clears throat> what do I teach my clients? What how do I show up as an indispensable trusted advisor to my clients? So that core values exercise was powerful, so powerful because I realized that not only does it apply to my team, but it also applied to my clients and to me. I mean, so it's it's, it's my core values, but it's also the type of people I attract, the type of people I want to work with all the way around as a team yeah. and as clients, right? Mm -hmm. These are the kind of people yeah, that, that I like to work with, that I want yeah. in my world, right? Yeah, and, and, and I think that's why that exercise is so powerful because we don't realize how much we show up in our business the same way we show up in our life. And then when you do that core values exercise, because I remember, Davina, as you went through the exercise yourself and you read your core values, you know, you and I have known each other now for what, four years or so. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I could so clearly see those being your values. And then earlier, because I came early for lunch that day, as we were eating lunch, I was listening to conversations around the table and, and I was part of those conversations, you know, in, in the boardroom. And, and it was really beautiful that as people went through the exercise, their core values at the end of the day were matching up to their discussions during lunch. Right, right. So it's, so it's that, a very natural sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very natural, very natural. So it's about bringing that really to your awareness when you are going through the hiring process, thinking about, because you because the worst thing is hiring people who, and bringing them into your business and, and into your world and into your life and having to work with them every day and finding out that they don't share your core values, those things that are so fundamental to you. Like, like for instance, you know, for me, it's critical to have people that that show up and, and do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it, right? With a high level of integrity, right? And so mm-hmm. there's nothing that irritates me more than to have something, somebody on my team that can't do that, that doesn't show up when they say they're going to, that doesn't perform when they say they're going to, that, right. you know, right? So, uh, so that's, you're not going to last very long in my organization if you're the kind of person that doesn't take that, doesn't have that level of integrity. Like if you just right. take, if you're much more casual <laughs> about that, it's just <laughs> not going to work well with me because I'm not casual that way. Right. And right, some right. people are, you know, some people it's just like, Hey, you know, man, you get things done when you get it done, whatever, but not me. I, I have certain expectations. Right. And right. so it, it, it's going to be very important to me <laughs> that characteristic. And you just, you're, it's good to know that at the outset because a person, uh, a person is not going to be very happy working with me if they don't have that core value. So it's not just about me. It's about a person that I'm bringing into my organization as well. So let's that out even further, right? It's about them not being happy. It's about you not being happy. It's the way you're matching, you match your clients up with who you are based on your core values. Your clients aren't going to be happy. And overall life, life for, you know, not many people will be happy. That's how powerful that is. Right. Right. So I love that. I love that as a starting point for people just sitting down and really think thinking. So one of the, one of the, uh, so that really, does that kind of figure into the name of your company and sort of how you came up with the name of your company, this intuitive strategies is sort of because you believe that people really need to look a little deeper than just the mechanics of hiring Yes, absolutely. You know, it's so funny because in coming up with the name, so I worked in corporate for, you know, 23 years and I could interview someone over the phone and make the decision to fly that person in to town. And I would just know that that person was the right hire. Like there was something, you know, deep in my soul, right? I knew they Mm -hmm. were the right hire. I'd walk down to the, the CEO's office and I'd say, hey, look, this is the per- I know the resume doesn't look good, but this is the person we're going to hire kind of thing. And somehow I just sort of always knew the inner workings of the organization. 
And we had seven different departments, 200 team members, and 85 acres of property. So it's not like that's an easy thing, but I just always knew it. And I think somehow I was taking something deeper in. You know, I was matching those soft skills with the culture. I, I, the CEO, I knew his values. And by the way, I aligned with his values. So it was very easy for me to not only hire in a very strategic way, but also hire in a very intuitive way. And that is truly intuitive strategies, the way I want people to look at their business, because it takes you to that deeper level with your clients and, you know, with the people you hire, with your community, really does. So let me ask you this, can we, you have um, probably hired close to, if not more than a thousand people through the course of your <laughs> career, right? So yes, can we as solos having never, you know, some people are solos have never hired anybody before. How can we tap into that intuitive part of ourselves and mm-hmm. trust that? Because I, I think one of the uh, struggles that a lot of uh, solos have is they is trusting themselves to hire mm-hmm. somebody. There's a lot of fear around being responsible for hiring a person and bringing them on, uh, trusting them, and also being, you know, res- being responsible for bringing this person into their organization and having this person, you know, uh, deal with their clients and, you know, all of that. So all, yeah. all, all, in, all that's involved with that, right? So what yeah. kinds of things can they do to sort of sharpen their intuition uh, and, you know, I know that there are tools and things like that that they can use to help them. But tell me, tell me some of the things that you would advise. Yeah, I love that question, Davina. And thank you for answering it, because that really is the truth, right? It's the fear. Um, and not only the fear of what can happen on the business owner's side, but the fear of, you know, this, this person is leaving one position to come join you and and it's it's important and so i think part of it is our life is made up of stories right it really is and mm-hmm. when we look back on where we've been and we're with a group of people it's fun to tell stories so i love behavioral based interview questions so for me when i do i do several layers of interviewing by the way mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> i can teach an organization my, my seven-step process, which is called find and fill formula, or many times the organization will just hire me to go out and directly recruit for them, and I'll send them one candidate. And the way it looks is that in, in, when you do behavioral-based interviews, first of all, you don't tell the candidate too much about you yet. They have the job posting, so they, they've read that or, or whatever it may be, but don't give away the farm, shall you say. Go ahead, be kind, but jump into the interview process and allow it to be a storytelling session. So for me, typically the first interview is done over the phone, and I'm really interviewing them to see if maybe they will fit in with the culture of the organization. I'm interviewing them to see where they are in their knowledge base. You know, can they really do this job? Then by the time I go into the second interview, now it's about tell me a story. 
So let's say that we're looking for people like what, like with you, Davina, you know, integrity is very important to you. So maybe one of the questions would be something like, tell me about a time when you were expected to step away from something that you believe in and do, and do uh, something within your organization that you didn't feel so, so good about. And of course, I'm, 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 this is off the cuff right now, so I wouldn't right, say right. Yeah, like yeah. that, but it gives you an idea, right? Yeah. So now this person would say, oh my gosh, you know, I had this boss and she asked me to do this and it didn't seem right. So this person's going to tell you this story. And right. then the next question would be something like, well, what did you do about that? So this, this candidate would tell you what they did. The next question would be, how did you feel? What would you do differently? So now this person is telling you a story and it's very easy for them to explain this story and you can really tell where their integrity lines aligns with yours and you can tell that this has really happened to them because they're bringing their minds back to that time. So it's a very powerful thing to do and it really allows you to be connected in that moment with them and that's when the intuition and strategy aligns itself. Oh, and I love the what would you do differently question because it is one thing for them to tell you a story of, you know, from their perspective of what happened, because we all know, we all know there's, you know, you've heard there's two sides to every story and the truth is somewhere in the middle. And, you know, yeah. and of course, as, sure, an attorney, absolutely. as an attorney, and I work with a lot of attorneys, we know that there are a lot of, there's a lot of versions of the truth, right? So, Yes. But that, what would you do differently is that, that that is a very powerful nuance because now you start to see, they've got to think, they've got to think, what would I do? What would I do? Now I've got to actually, I can't, uh, you know, I can't tell a story about this. I've got to think about what would be, what would I do? How would I right. answer that? Right. Yeah. yeah. And the truth is, you know, sometimes because we want to be good people or we don't want to lose our jobs or whatever that looks like, sometimes at that point in time, we may have made the wrong decision. So asking, what would you do differently now? That's a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, we see it happen all the time in the world, right? We've stepped into something and now um, we would do it completely different. So yeah, so what you do differently describe a time when um tell me about a project that you like that would be something very powerful too or you could even say give me an example of a time when you so those are great ways to start off um or to dig deeper into um into where they are and and allow them to tell you about a story mm -hmm. So you have brought up through this process, you've brought up what I think is mistake number two, um, that I that uh, I think a lot of people make when they're kind of at the beginning when they're hiring people, and that is getting into telling their own stories. So instead of asking questions and being curious and leaving space for the other person to talk, yeah. They start telling about their business and 
and telling their own stories and talking about what they need and revealing their own insecurities about the business. And I mean, they're so relieved to have somebody show up that might be there to help them that they just start kind of, you know, going, oh, you know, I'm so great. I'm so glad you're here. So this is what I need. And this is what I'm doing in the business, as opposed to actually interviewing and asking the questions to find out if this person is a good fit. And oftentimes settling maybe for the first one or two people that walk in the door, not thinking that they're, maybe it's the seventh person is the ideal person, right? do you find yeah. that do you find that they stop stop too soon in their search? Mm-hmm. They do stop too soon. You know, sometimes when I get <clears throat> clients that are really super desperate, you know, again they're in that place where they waited way too long, um, and they didn't have the right person in that spot to start with. And you know, now let's you know even talking about a paralegal, right? So now you've been a month or two without a paralegal. The last paralegal wasn't the right one. And the office is in the shambles and the associates or attorneys are trying to do all the work on their own. So now there's desperation involved. So I'll have people talk to me and say, well, I thought I'd get someone in two weeks. And many times it takes more time than that. It, you know, it might take four, five, six weeks because I'm not just talking to one or two candidates. I'm talking to 20. And, right. and you know, with some of the questions, so for instance, here would be some really powerful for you. Like you said, integrity is important. Accountability is important. Attention to detail is important for you, Davina. And I would think in a paralegal role, all of those, all of those things would be very important. So you could ask a question like, tell me about a project or an accomplishment that you consider to be the most significant to date. Um, lead me through that process. What was the end result? And the awesome thing is, with their answer, which may have taken, by the way, five minutes, where you're just being quiet, 10 minutes maybe even, you're going to find out about their prior successes, um, their sense of ownership, uh, their confidence in their work. Did they give credit to anyone else on the team? Um, are they, how detailed were they as they were going through this process? Um, and so... It takes time to ask these kind of questions. So for me, that second interview will be an hour to an hour and 15 minutes long. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. So when you ask a client, when you ask an applicant, you know, uh, something like, if you want to know about their decision-making process, like what's the most difficult decision you've made in the last two years? And they're going to tell you. And then you would say something like, well, how did you come to that decision? Um, And what was the result? What was the result of that decision? And what would you do differently next time? Because maybe they were disappointed in making that decision. But again, now you're hearing how much detail did the candidate give you? Does the candidate's logic fit in with your firm? How was the decision made? Like, was thought put into it? Was it a little bit risky? Was it innovative? innovative? Like, how did, they, how did they make that decision? And especially if it was a decision in regard to the client, is that something your client would appreciate? Right, right. Yeah, so um, 
that's why when we go through this process, there's no uh, quick fix. It's finding the right person. And, and I really pride myself. What I do differently than recruiting firms is I act more like I'm the HR person and I physically work there. I really get to know the organization. I really get to understand the values. I understand not only the skills that they're, that they're looking for, but the soft skills that they need. And I send them one candidate. One. And that's one. the candidate they hire. Wow. Yeah, one. Wow. And so, and so and you've got to be pretty confident. If you're sending them one, you've got to be pretty confident. So you've really done your lot, a lot of research <laughs> to know that, that yeah, is the, yeah. that's the person. <laughs> yeah, you've done the evaluation I, yeah. stuff. You use you use tools and things like that to like like uh, uh, personality tests and you know. Yeah, I uh, do. Uh, I do we do. call them personality tests? Are they personality tests? Are they what are they called? Yeah, personality profiles. And and I know sometimes, especially you know today, I think personality profiles really get a bad rap. Um, I've used many, and the one I use now is a uh, Disc Wiley Disc. And uh, but I, over the years, I've used four or five different kinds, and I don't really use them to say, like, I, I before I interview someone, I don't say, oh, I want you to do this personality test, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're very far in the process by the time I ask them to do that, and mm -hmm. in that fact, by the time I ask them to do that, now I'm planning on on sending them over to my candidate, you know, my clients. Um, but the beautiful gift about that is it is it opens up communication. I mean, let's face it, Davina, communication, not only in our business, but in our lives is the thing that the moment it falls apart, the moment everything falls apart. I mean, there's right. nothing more important than communication. And what this tool does is it gives us a very strong ability to be able to see where the person's strengths are, where more of those weaknesses are, and most importantly, how two people or a team of people can work and communicate together. It's, they're very powerful. Yeah, I do think that, I do think they're very, uh, I think they're important in terms of how, you know, one of the challenges I see is when people are hiring, particularly in small firms or small organizations could be, you know, I'm, I'm referring a lot to attorney kind of stuff, but it could be coaching, consulting, uh, you know, any sort of medical business, any kind of a small service-based business or whatever. But uh, you do have to take into account the, the personality fit for the job, then certain skills and um, mm -hmm. personality types for certain jobs, right? You're going to have people right. who, who really love organization and really love that those kinds of organizational details and you know they want everything color coded right. and tabbed and and everything and then you have other people that chaos they just love the chaos but put them in front of people and they just light up and and those are you know you're not going to want to put them in a job where they're in a cubicle all day trying to organize things so i think right that those kind of tools are really really helpful in getting the right people in the right job, you know, right positions. So yes, I agree. And, and you know, it's, it's almost like in, in our business, right, we wouldn't want our CPAs <laughs> <laughs> to not be super detail oriented and be capable and able to more or less sit in a place all day long, 
and work with numbers. Um, they are truly two different types of skill sets. And that's why really the one of the hardest positions to hire for is sales. Because you need someone in sales that has a strong enough ability to um, not only build a relationship with the client, but to also be able to ask for the close of the sale. So they mm -hmm. must be very sort of action oriented and very capable and comfortable being out in the world. And the details on that side are still important. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's hard to find that, that quality in a person. Yeah. It's not so. enough to say I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, people, right. people person is not, not, it's not enough in sales. You have to also be a closer, you know, you can be able to close. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, and not I only learned do you that have the hard to be way myself years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not only do you have to be a closer, but you still have to be enough of a people person and enough of a relationship builder that you're paying attention to the little details too, because the little details matter. Right. Right. Yeah. And you gave you've given a really uh, when uh, one of your talks, you gave a really interesting example, too, where you were comparing a couple different salespeople and you were talking you had two really good qualified salespeople, but you um, were evaluating them based on culture of the company and how the yes. culture of the company matters as well to qualified salespeople but one just fit the culture of the company much yes. in a much more powerful way than the other one did. So that yeah. really matters as well. It does really matter. And the really cool thing is I just found this out yesterday, Davina is they hired the first person, which I did feel like she was probably the stronger culture fit because this is an organization that's a startup and they are a, uh, very detail oriented. It's a group of scientists and PhDs. And so they're very detail oriented. So the first person I sent them, she was much more detailed herself and she's the one that they chose to hire. And they are planning on hiring their second person in um, the summer, you know, July mm -hmm. or August. So they let the other candidate know that he'll be at the top of the list for them to interview, which I thought was really very kind and sweet. And, you know, so, so they came in, that's how closely these two came in together. Wow. It's just that one had more of that attention to detail. So they had a stronger comfort level with her first and they would still consider bringing the second one on board when they're up and running a, a little bit more. So oh, it's exciting. That's terrific. That's terrific. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's um, let's see. We've covered uh, a, a couple of um, sort of uh, mistakes, and I want to ask you: Is there any other? So we've we've covered the first the first mistake was sort of hiring someone you know. The second mistake was we talked about uh, sort of telling, doing the talking and telling the stories, and not letting the other person not really letting them tell stories and listening and, and asking those questions, doing that behavioral interview process. Tell me like a third mistake you think that uh, those solos make when they're making those hires, when they're first kind of learning how to hire people. Not onboarding properly. It's a huge thing. 
And I know that, you know, we're solo entrepreneurs stepping into having our, you know, first team member, right? I, I understand that. So it's not like you're going to give a, a two-day <laughs> training uh-huh. to someone. But it is really important that they start off and Number one, they're super clear on their salary and how that's going to work. It's amazing how many times at the very end an offer will fall through because there's not enough clarity in regard to the offer. I actually talk about um, the offer in the very mm-hmm. first phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I, and I want to make this really clear too, because in some states now, you can no longer ask specifically about, you know, their salary. So. When I work in the state of Florida, I'm I'm from I live here in Florida. The question I ask is, what's the highest salary you've made in the last two years? And then when I know that falls in the guidelines of what my client is looking for, I'll say great. If it doesn't, I'll be very upfront and say I'm sorry. That's not what you know. That's not the base we we're looking for. This is what we we're looking at. So the conversation may end right there. In other states, New York, Rhode Island, I know for sure. I think California as well. You cannot ask them that question. So the question would be something more like, we are planning to, uh, to pay in, in an area of 62 to 65,000 per year for this position. Would that fall into you know, your needs? Would that, would that work for you? And then they're gonna tell you yes or no. Many times they'll say, well, I'm, you know, I'm making uh, 63 right now. Like that'll be the conversation, but you're not allowed to ask. So very clear to get that, even though it's not comfortable, get that salary question out of the way, the very first interview. And then that number two, so, oh, sorry, such, go ahead. No, that's such an interesting, I'm sorry I interrupted. That's such an interesting no. approach because I've always heard, you know, you, you wait till you don't want to talk about money until after, you know, because you want this person to be, uh, you know, they need to be thinking about you and whether how they're going to help you and whether or not they can, you know, whether or not they can, uh, what they can bring to your organization. Um, And I've always thought that's a little bit, you know, from the job candidates perspective, that's always a little bit unfair because you're kind of leading them down this path. And what if they spend Mm -hmm. two or three interviews with you and get to the end of it and then find out this job only pays X amount of money and they can't really ask because the minute they ask, you know, you look at them and go, oh, you're only in it for the money. You know, like, right. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. Because right. The, well, we all have to make a living, right? <laughs> right. But, yeah. Right. But, you know, the perception, the minute you ask about the money is from the employer standpoint is, you know, oh, they don't care about me. They just, you know, are here for that paycheck. Right. So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you say just bring it up at the beginning. This is the range and let's not waste everybody's time if this isn't a range that's going to be, you know, acceptable to you then. Yeah. Right. And and it, and I think it's really important too. Now, typically for me in a job posting, I do not put salaries in there. And the reason why I don't is because what if, like what, even for my clients, what if, so let's say someone said, well, I can only pay 50,000 for whatever this is. And this person came in and they were amazing. And I found out they were at 52. I would sincerely call my client and say, look, yeah, I know this is what you said. And I really want you to reconsider 
because this is a value this person can bring to the table and I, I believe it, I know it and just interview them, please. Right. So that's mm -hmm. why I never put uh, salaries in uh, an actual job posting. By the way, my favorite places to post are Indeed, ZipRecruiter and LinkedIn. Oh, and a I lot of times that. in LinkedIn, yeah, I'll go out to groups and I'll say, hey, this is what we're looking for. So just that that's one question that people always ask me. So I'm sorry to kind of sidetrack. Oh, no, that's a great, no, that's important a great to mention tip. I was going to ask you that. So that's a great tip. Um, your, uh, I would also say about posting, putting the salary in the um, job posting, the, uh, the thing that I think would be a challenge with that too, is if you put it in the job posting, you're going to have a whole lot of people who are going to go, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. I'm going to post for that job, even though I'm nowhere near remotely qualified for it. Yes, very <laughs> even though true. I have yeah. no yeah. experience whatsoever in the, you know, X field, I'm going to go ahead and apply for this job because look at that salary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that happens a lot too. the dreamers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, and, and, you know, mm -hmm. when we talk about, you know, this, this uh, podcast is geared toward women entrepreneurs. And uh, I read a study recently that um, men will actually uh, will actually apply or more likely to apply when whether or not they meet the qualifications, whereas women have to meet, you know, in their minds, they've got to meet at least like 90% of the qualifications on the ad before they apply, as opposed to men who've, you know, if they meet like 50% of the qualifications, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'll apply. And, yeah. you know, so women are kind of their own worst enemies in that way. Do you, do you see that in, in what you've done with recruiting? I do. Yeah, I do. I, I And I think that's one of the reasons, too, Davina, why they're actually changing the laws in some states, right, to make it more fair in some ways for the women. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Even for me, when I first became a women business owner, right, I would walk into a room and and there would be something about my energy where I would almost feel like I need to act like the men, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not men. We're not men. We're women. And and I think something that's really important is that we that we truly bring to the world the magic that we can give and what that is. We show up being very much who we are and we know that we are enough. Right. Like I want women to start thinking like men and say, you know what, I only fit into 50 percent of this. But, hey, I'm going to apply because I you know, there's something inside of me that I know I can do this. So um, I just think it's important that we don't act like men, that we bring our magic and we also bring our value in knowing that we're enough. Right. I, it happened with me and I see it happen with so many other women. Right, right. And you and I both are, um, let's say we're we're old enough to have worked in the 80s let's say that yes <laughs> and, yes <laughs> and we we are familiar with shoulder pads i love shoulder pads by the way i love shoulder I pads too. and and big hair is like so i was i was born for the 80s with my hair so that was great for me 
Um, so big hair, big earrings and shoulder pads, right? So I loved <laughs> yeah. all that in the 80s. And uh, you definitely, it was definitely a man's world in corporate, especially in the 80s. So, mm -hmm. but we, we're, we're at different times now. And uh, you do find that uh, I, it excites me when I see younger women who really don't even um, under, they, they, they don't even grasp a time when things were different, right? Right. Because they're just sort of used to women being you know, working with women and being around women all the time, and so many women, even though there's still so many, uh, you know, discussions about a lot of things, you know, going on between men and women in the workplace these days. But th th there, we have come a long way in a lot of ways, and so yes. I, I love, I love more and more women. <laughs> showing up and owning their own businesses and creating their own business and being CEOs of their own businesses. I love it too. Yeah. Yeah. And I so. love it too, that we empower ourselves with working so closely with each other. Um, because there's so much value that women receive from being with other women. Um, there's, there's strength in that there's power in that. And that's why I so appreciate the way you show up in the world, Davina, and the group that you've created, because there's so much power there. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy. Um, I, I would love to be able to get into a conversation with you about women working with women and cultivating teams and how we work with women and manage women. But I think we're about out of time today. So we're going to have to table mm -hmm. that conversation. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we're going to have to do, come back together and do on another day. <laughs> I, I'm in for that. I'm in for that. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. We will do it. We will do it. So uh, any final thoughts that you, any, that you want to leave us with, with regard to this sort of hiring? I know, and also, I know we didn't touch on, I, we talked a lot about sort of that first hire today, but the, in the journey from solo to CEO, we have a lot of people who are a little further down the path than that first hire. A lot of the things you're talking about, though, that, we, that you shared today really apply not just to that first hire, but that second, mm. third, fourth hire and cultivating that team um, in those first, you know, several, say 10 years of cultivating yeah. the team. Hire. It's not too late, right? Right. We can, still, right. We can still apply what we've learned here today, even if, it, even if we're already a little bit down the road in building our team. Right. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, I work with startups and, and, and some of the businesses I work with, um, you know, they've been around for a long time. They're very good at what they do. They have 30 or 40 um, team members and they're not really running smoothly. Like there's a, you know, there's a <laughs> all pistons, I guess, aren't moving together. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, I work with those type of organizations a lot where they just say, Kathy, something's broken. And can you come in and look at this? And sometimes it's, it's about moving team members to a different piece of the puzzle. Sometimes it might be about letting someone go. Um, many times, actually, it's about letting someone go and let's start all over and hire the right person. And, you know, that one orange in an apple cart throws the whole thing off. It really does. 
um, it's amazing what one wrong hire can do to an organization, no matter how big it is. Right, right. It sounds like we're going to have to have a series of podcasts, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh goodness <laughs> oh, so all right well on that note then i think we're going to wrap it up today but i really uh i learned so much every time i talk with you about this subject and i love it because this is a huge huge topic it is it is the thing that is one of the biggest challenges for uh business owners that are um, on you know growing their businesses um from moving from solo to CEO and really trying to create that high impact, high revenue generating business. And the bigger impact they, that you want to make in your business, really, you have to embrace uh, a team. You have to embrace whether, you, whether you're actually hiring employees or you're cultivating an outsourced team of independent contractors to help you. You really are always looking at working with other people and how can I work with other people to make a bigger impact in the world and take my message out there and, and really serve more people with what I do. And um, so even, uh, even the information that you share with us today can apply even in working with those kinds of teams, virtual teams. And so I really appreciate what you share with us today and I look forward to future conversations with you. Thank you so much for being oh, here. Thank you, Davina. I had a great time. Thank you. Thanks oh. everyone for listening. The Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high-impact, high-revenue-generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.